What is good, everybody? Yo, welcome to this scripture study of Romans chapter 1. Yeah, we starting at the straight beginning of the book. We is not messing around. Yo, real quick, if y'all want to connect with me outside of the podcast realm, I do have an Instagram and a YouTube, which is down in the little link description below. You can go check that out. And also, if you want to support the podcast, there is a link down below as well. But I want to hop straight into this. And we hopping straight into the first chapter because there's so much good stuff in the first chapter that we can't just overlook it. So I want to hop into Romans chapter 1 and we're going to start in verse 18 and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. So verse 18, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, just just to give you a heads up, <laughs> these verses that we about to read, they're heavy. Like they are heavy. Paul is not holding back. He is going straight in, letting us know what he's doing. So verse 19, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And this struck me because a question I have heard a lot when it comes to people in Christianity is the question of what happens to those who haven't heard? Like what happens to those people in countries who have maybe never heard the gospel, never heard about Jesus? And Paul's pretty clear here. He's like, look, um, even if you've never actually heard God or heard about Jesus, you can see it in the earth. You can see it by what he's made. You can you can see and know, even if you don't want to admit it, you can know at a deep level that there was something that created the very things that you are experiencing. And this actually makes me think of a parable that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 16. We were going through this in my Bible study and it struck me so, so uh, hard. And Jesus was telling this parable about this rich man and this poor man. There's this rich man had all he ever wanted, but there was a poor man at his gate named Lazarus and Lazarus just wanted some food. Like he just wanted the scraps off this man's table and the man ignored him. The man didn't care. And so what ended up happening in the parable is they both die. And the man goes down into what is explained as hell. And Lazarus is chilling with Abraham in heaven, eating a meal, chilling, living the life. And in the story, the rich man cries out to Abraham. He's like, Abraham, help me. Like have Lazarus come over here and just give me some cold water because I'm burning up down here. And the, the man goes on to say in Luke chapter 16, verse 27, this is important. That's why I'm bringing this up. The rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. What, what I'm trying to I guess extrapolate from this story is that the man even at a deep level knew that what he was seeing was real what caught my eye in this parable is that the man knew father Abraham's name but he's in hell which means that he understood at some level 
who he was talking to. He knew who Abraham was. And so Paul's trying to get us to see here is like, look, you may have never heard the gospel or you may have never heard it preached in a way that it should have been preached, but that's no excuse for not knowing that there is a God that made everything so clearly. And for me, the way I always know that God is real. I know I'm a Christian. I've been studying the word. I've been doing all these things. I know that God is real. But the moment for me that really hits me is when I go out at night and I look up in the sky and I see all the stars and I see how small we are. And I think about how big the universe is. And I think to myself, there's no way that this was just an accident. The complexity of the human body and the complexity of our earth and the way everything works together so perfectly, there has to be a creator behind it. And what Paul's trying to say is the same idea as you don't look at a piece of art and just believe that the art happened. You look at that piece of art and you wonder who is behind it? Who created such an art? Who is the intelligent being behind this masterpiece, which I am looking at in awe? So verse 21, keep going. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. What caught my eye here is he explains that they began that they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. So they started to come up with things that they thought God was. They started to categorize God in ways which he was not. And because of this, it made them go into a place of darkness and confusion. And it makes me think to growing up in church. And I know a lot of you have had this experience where you'll grow up in church being told things about God that aren't necessarily true. I know a lot of us may have grown up in a church where where we were told that God is an angry, furious God that will bring his wrath on you if you sin. We so we knew that we knew a God that was a God that just wanted to punish us and that just wanted us to follow what he said, that he never wanted relationship with us. These are the type of foolish things that we start to think God is like if we're not careful. One that's very popular in our culture today is the idea that God is a God that does not care what you do. This is the complete opposite, right? That God does not care what you do. That it does not matter if you sin. It does not matter if you walk away from God. It does not matter if you curse his name. But we we have categorized God as this um, God that is not present, that is outside of anything that's going on in our lives. And that God does not care if we sin, who we sin with, what we do, that God is so hands off and that God, because he is loving, will accept you no matter what you do. And the problem with that is if you're not careful, you can start to extrapolate characteristics of God and take them to the extreme, which he did not mean them to be. The idea that God is loving and forgiving is true. But it does not mean that God is going to sit there and accept the fact that you will continuously sin against him and not ask for repentance. And so we get these foolish ideas of what God is like, and they can put us into a place of darkness and confusion. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. 
what Paul is uh, alluding to here is he's talking about the Old Testament stories where time and time again, people would make idols in replace of God. They would craft these golden idols made to look like animals or made to look like other things, and they would worship that in place of God. And it's really interesting that people do this. And and the idea of idols is one that still exists today. And a lot of times, the same way in which people in the Old Testament made idols, we do the same way for the same reasons. You make an idol to try and domesticate and control God. Because if you make this idol, it's fully within your control. You can destroy it. You can make it to be what you want it to be. It can stay in the confines that you want it to stay. And this is this is what's so difficult a lot of times. The idea of God is since God is so magnificent and God is so outside of our control, sometimes it can be scary having the idea that you are going to serve a God that is uncontrollable, that is not able to be domesticated. And so we'll make idols. And that's what these people did. They made idols. But in the same light, we can make idols. And we do this every single day. I think without even realizing it, a lot of us will make idols out of our cell phones because our cell phones will hold priority over God. We we would rather be on our phones, on social media, on YouTube, on the internet. We would We would rather be on our phones than with God. And a lot of times these objects can become idols, same way as people can become idols. We can make political figures become idols as if they are our savior. And we stake our entire, our entire livelihood. We stake our character into these political figures as if they are God, as if they are idols that need to be worshiped. We'll defend them with everything that we'll have. We'll lose friends and family over defending political figures and celebrity and people who will never even know us on a personal level, we will go to bat for them and give up everything for them and donate to them. But when it comes to God, he's pushed to the side because with these people, these are people that we can domesticate and we can control and they're confined and we know where they are. We know what they're doing. We can keep tabs on them and we can't do the same thing with God. So he's warning about idols here. But I want to keep going forward. Verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desires. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with, with each other's body. This, this, is, this is a deep one. This is a deep one, especially when he points out the degrading things that they did with each other's bodies because sexual sin is one that it's on a different level than other sin. It really is. Let me explain why. Because when you partake in sexual sin, whether it's lust or you're actually doing physical actions when you know you should not be doing it, what it does is it takes the humanity from the person that you are lusting over or dreaming about or or any it's taking the humanity away from that person and in a sense what it is doing is it is you saying that they are only used to be a tool for you to gain pleasure 
You're taking away their humanity to where they are no longer a person. They are no longer made in God's image. They are no longer meant to be a holy temple. They are on, The only purpose they serve on this earth is to please you in your pleasures. And so this is what these people did. And that was their the desire of their hearts. They did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies, the same bodies that are supposed to be a temple, the same bodies that are supposed to be made in God's image. They're degrading them and saying that you only exist to fill my need. Oof. So verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. Same way we do with the things that God created in our life for, you know, our phones and uh, our cars and our jobs will worship our job. We'll sacrifice everything for our job, but we won't do the same thing for God. We'll sacrifice everything for our social media following. We'll sacrifice all of these things for something that God created and something that God gave us, but we don't do it for God that gave us those things in the first place. But let's continue. Um, they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. That is why God abandoned them to do their shameful desires. This word abandon has came up twice so far. First in verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. And then in verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. This word abandonment is is such a heavy word that God abandoned them. It sounds terrible, right? At first glance, you're thinking, God, why would you abandon them? But what we see very clearly, not just in this text, but if you look back to other texts in the Bible and, and in this narrative story of God trying to redeem his people is that God abandoned his people on several occasions. But look what he's abandoning abandoning them to. God is only abandoning his people to what they wanted. Because these people in this text wanted to partake in sinful, sexual, degrading, vile actions. They wanted to worship idols. They wanted to ignore God's truth. They wanted to ignore the commands that God gave them. And so it's not like God is abandoning people who are searching after his own heart. He's abandoning them to what they want. And this, this hits at the point that God will allow you to have free will. God's saying, all right, you want to do these things? You want to degrade each other's bodies? You want to worship idols? You want to worship other people instead of me? Okay, go ahead. I'll let you do it. And by abandoning you, it's not that I am forcing anything on you. I am simply allowing your actions to meet their consequences. I'm allowing what you choose to do because these things that you choose to do will lead to death. They will lead to pain. They eventually will lead to your demise. And so I'm going to let you do it. That's what you want. I'll abandon you. I'll let you do it. You don't want me anyway. You know the truth, but you decide to ignore the truth, so you obviously don't want me, so I'm just going to abandon you to let you on your own devices and let you do what you want, and you're just going to have to reap the consequences to your actions. We see this time and time again that God will hand us over to what we want. This happened in the flood story. When God brought the flood, when you first read that story, you think, oh wow, God's an evil, angry God that just wants to kill people. No, 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 no. 
The people that God wiped out with the flood didn't want God in the first place. They decided that what they wanted to do was sin against God. They were going to kill each other. They were going to partake in sexual acts. And ultimately, they were going to destroy the creation that God made. So God said, okay, look, this is your, you want to partake in these actions that if I allow it will inevitably lead to your destruction. Okay, I'll let it happen, but I'm just going to fast track what you chose. You see it in the wilderness story when the Israelites came out of slavery in Egypt and time and time again, instead of following God and choosing God, they continued to choose to complain and, and wish that they could go back into slavery because they had some better food, even though that they were enslaved. And they chose to go against God. So God said, okay, that's what you want. Stay in the wilderness then. I've tried to help you. But but you're on a path to destruction. You're on a path to death. And I can only try so much because at the end of the day, you have the choice to freely choose. And so if you choose, right, to go against me, I'm going to turn you over to what it is that your your actions are going to lead to. So that's what we see here. So continuing on to verse 26. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. I want to break this down real quick. Because when you first read this, and this is a verse that is commonly used to talk about homosexuality in the Bible. Obviously so. It's clearly talking about um, homosexuality and that it is a sin. But this goes deeper than that. If you, if you look at what he's saying and you read the verses before, you see a pattern. It goes deeper and you see a tendency for us as human beings to go against what God designed us for. You see this propensity for human beings to willfully choose to go against what we were created to be. For instance, we were created in his image. But instead of us doing everything that we can to maintain that image that we were created in, we have a tendency to do the opposite and do everything we can to destroy it. By sinning, by hurting people, by backstabbing people, by by going against what God called us to do, we go against what we were created for. We were created to walk with him in the garden. God created this beautiful place for us to dwell and he created us in this place for that reason, for us to walk with him in close relationship. But every single day, the actions that we take lead us farther from God. And it's the same actions that, that Paul lays out in the verses before, the fact that we know what God says we should do and we actively don't do it. We know that that we are not supposed to worship idols, but we continue to put people and things above God all the time. We continue to take steps away from walking with God like he created us to do in the garden. God created us to have life and to live, but we constantly on a daily basis do things that slowly kill us. We will hurt other people and we'll destroy other countries. And when it gets even worse, we'll take our own life. We will do things that go against what God created us to do. And what Paul is showing here is 
that God created man and woman to be together, not woman and woman, not man and man. And they were going against what God created them to be. But this also hits on another point because you you see not just in the verses you know 26 and 27 but even the ones before Paul is talking about different sexual sins that these people partook in this is such a a big problem not only in that society but in our society we have a a very bad habit of over sexualizing everything we over sexualize everything something that was created to be sacred we just loosely give away in our personal lives and what we watch on TV and what we post on social media, in the ways that we talk with each other, everything is over-sexualized. Something that was supposed to be sacred is no longer sacred. And it goes with the same theme that Paul is giving, that we go against what we were supposed to be created for. So verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they that should never be done, the same way he abandoned them in the verses before. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. This right here, the language that Paul is using, shows how strong emotionally the actions that we take are to God. If God was not a present God, if God did not care to be close to us, none of these things would really matter. Backstabbing, haters, proud and boastful, deception, all of these things would not matter to God if he was not a close relational God. Imagine how you would feel if your spouse or your best friend or if your child did all of these things to you if they were wicked, if they sinned, if they were greedy, if they were hateful to you, if they envied you, if they tried to murder you, if they quarreled against you, if they deceived you, if they acted towards you in malicious behavior, if they gossiped about you, if they stabbed you in the back, if they were haters of you, if they were insolent, if they were proud and they were always boasting. Imagine how you would feel if someone you loved and you invested so much in did the same things to you. So this shows how how important We are to God and how God is a relational God, not a God that is just way off and not present in our lives. So to continue, they invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Paul is making it very clear here that we as human beings have no excuse of being unaware of what moral standards we are held to. He says right here, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. And what what he's trying to get us to see is that we know on a deeper level what is morally right and wrong. What I've seen in our society though, especially in, in the last hundred or so years is we have grown to the idea that subjective morality is more important than an objective morality. We've grown to breed this idea that our subjective morals are important and everyone else's 
aren't. You see this so prevalent today. People will say that what they believe in is right and it doesn't matter what you believe. What people believe in is right. It's subjective. It's subjective to that person and they will hold you accountable to their moral standards even if it's wrong. But in the same breath, the society and the world will tell us that you do whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't affect me. And so if you have this mindset that your subjective idea of what morals are, and by subjective, I mean you believe what is right is wrong, is right and wrong, because that's what you have decided. Not because that there is a standard above you that says no matter who you are, where you're from, this is what is right and wrong. If you hold subjective morals, then you can try and hold that over other people. But here's the problem with subjective morality is that since it is subjective, everyone else has a different idea of what is right and wrong. So who's to say that you are not right or wrong? Because you may believe that killing people is wrong, but people in other countries may believe it's right. So this is why having an objective morality is so important because it says that there is someone above who we say is God. There is something above that cannot be shaken, cannot be changed, cannot be moved, cannot be controlled that says that this is the standard to what is right and wrong and that everyone below must adhere to it. And so this is what Paul's saying is that they know that God's justice requires those who do these things that they deserve to die. He's trying to get us to see that deep down we all know what is morally right and wrong. And he says, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So this ends up, this ends the first chapter of Romans. Very, very charged and heated language that Paul is using because he's trying to get us to see how the how if we're not careful, we can be in a pattern of walking in this wickedness. But I want to hop over to chapter two real quick. Just one verse in chapter two, because I read this thinking, dang, these people messed up. Like these people, bad, bad, like bad, bad. But look what Paul says here in the next chapter in the first verse. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourselves for you who judge others do the very same Thing I read this and I'm thinking, thanks, Paul. Thanks for flaming me, bro. Like Paul just tore me up. I got done reading this thinking, man, I'm about to tear apart how, you know, people can be sinful. And Paul's like, no, no, no. You you do the same thing and you do it all the time. Paul tore me up. But this, just to wrap it all up, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the message of the gospel that Paul was preaching is that after seeing all of this, after realizing that <laughs> that human beings left to our own devices, we are gross, we are horrifying, we are backstabbers, we are sinful, we do gruesome and vile things to ourselves and other people, even though we are all of these things, God still loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for these gross and vile people who are named you and me. That's so good. I hope y'all enjoyed this scripture study of Romans 1. We're going to have another scripture study later on in the week. Um, I don't know what what, what we're going to go over yet, but I hope y'all enjoyed this and I will catch y'all in the next episode. Peace out.